Welcome to Article 10, a podcast from Sirius where musicians interview musicians on music, societal issues, and what freedom of expression means to them. I'm DJ and music journalist Tina Edwards, and on this episode, we're going to be diving into an engaging conversation with pianist Bill Lawrence, interviewing vocalist and violinist Alice Zavadsky. In my experience of seeing Alice Savadsky play live, she's an empathic performer. And I think that sensitivity and awareness really comes through in what you're about to hear. This episode hits the nail of the series on the head. In a moment, we're gonna hear Alice's thoughts on what happens when politics with a small P meets freedom of expression and how music can cut through political discourse. She also explains what genre boundaries mean to her and how singing in various languages opens up creative paths in her songwriting. It's time for me to pass the mic to our host for this episode, Bill Lawrence. And he kicks things off by asking Alice how freedom of expression, as outlined in Article 10, influences her creative work. So, Alice Zavadsky, what are your thoughts on this? And how does this relate to your own creative process? First of all, it's a huge statement, isn't it? It's a very wide, broad, all-encompassing statement um, that has a bazillion ways of engaging with, right? And so I suppose if you were to try to boil it down, which is obviously not a very easy thing to do, but in some ways I suppose it, it should be. But I guess in, in a musical sense, I think it, it, it's a really, um, a really pertinent thing to have in mind and, and like a really good backbone, I suppose, of the kinds of musics that you and I do and our colleagues and friends in the sense that we all operate within a kind of jazz context, like the broader jazz context, and that that's traditionally concerned with freedom, right? In all the different permutations that that can take, whether that's like freedom from a kind of massive organised tyranny and oppression, or whether that's about kind of freedom from your flesh prison... <laughs> as I've heard it described, you know, like freedom from from the kind of like chains of <laughs> of human existence, you know, like freedom mm -hmm. for your spiritual soul and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, freedom from cultural norms, freedom from musical strictures, artistic strictures, all of that stuff, like kind of just like pushing, reaching, searching um, and that being something that we celebrate I think uh, I would say that that, yeah, that overall statement is something that I resonate with for sure. Same here, same here. Um, there's a, the, the great American singer, uh, Carmen McRae, uh, once described jazz. She said, uh, blues is to jazz what yeast is to bread and without it, it's flat. Um, which is obviously a, a great quote about the relationship between uh, jazz and, and blues. 
But I, I kind of feel the same in light of freedom of expression. I feel like freedom of expression is to music what yeast is to bread. Without it, it's flat. And, I, you know, for me, it's like, just like you've said, I'm, I feel like it's the kind of, it's the lifeblood of, of music for me. It's, it's kind of what music relies on to, to, to give it uh, a, a kind of purpose. You have to make sure your yeast is is good as well. I don't know if you actually physically bake bread ever. I do sometimes. <laughs> do, yeah. I, I, and I uh, you've got to make sure. <laughs> right. I mean, I was going to say I recommend it, but I actually don't. I don't recommend it. It's much easier just to buy some. <laughs> it's, it's full of pitfalls. But like, yeah, the uh, yeast, you've got to make sure that it's that it's active and working. And so, I, you know, I suppose in a way, if we're going <laughs> to, you can symbolically put yeast in something, but unless it's actually a proper yeast, it's not going to work. So I, maybe that maybe there's a little lesson. Maybe maybe I need to work on my <laughs> Just got to make sure it's a good good kind of yeast. Yeah, make sure your blues are real or like or, or connected to something authentic to you. I don't know, not not performative. Absolutely. Um, and and do you feel that there should be any restrictions to this to this freedom? Um, and yeah, like is 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 that statement enough? So I think it's something that we we all think about a lot, um, and as people are kind of striving more to kind of educate themselves or to reclaim ground and all of this kind of stuff. The technicality of the statement, I think there, there should be room for that kind of like philosophical pontificating. Um, there's got to be a little bit of room for that, but um, there's got to be a little bit of room for that. But I sometimes feel like it, it sort of misses the point a bit which is that whilst, I don't know, someone like me, for example, like, you know, I can sit here and um, and think about the theory of human rights and, and um, whether there should be restrictions on, on freedom of speech or not, depending on, on the, the context or, or whether it includes hate speech and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the parameters of all of that, there, there's so much of that that's subjective anyway. But, but in the end, it's sort of not the point, like... Uh, the, the the point is is that there are still people who you know like the obvious example like right now is is all the stuff that's happening in Iran right um Masa Amini um being um being beaten by the morality police for supposedly wearing a hijab incorrectly and subsequently dying from her injuries and that's the kind of freedom of expression that you know it, it's it's so much bigger than than the sort of technicalities, I think, of that paragraph in a way. And I, I, su- I suppose that's not really the question you were asking me, was it? But, but it's something that, um, that I've been thinking about a bit as we get into this age where there's a lot of people kind of calling for a crackdown on so-called wokeism and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that, like, uh, and actually, like, it's, it's far bigger than that. It's, it's far more important. It's far more immediate and actually, therefore, qu- really quite simple you know, it's on us to decide as artists whether we really want to take these kind of issues on. Um, and like, I, I feel like David Crosby is a, is a good reference here, um, who I've been lucky enough to spend a bit of time with. And, and, you know, I was talking to him about this kind of this, this dilemma of responsibility. And, and he, I mean, he's obviously very much an example of somebody who, you know, put it at the front of his career. And it was all about like, his whole career was kind of his music was was sort of almost built on 
you know, social justice uh, to a point, or like, you know, a lot of what he wrote about. And, and um, you know, he's a massive campaigner in, in, in that, in that, in that world. And, and so I remember he, he referenced this time where he did a gig and he, he spent like, you know, the whole gig just bad mouthing Trump and just kind of saying how, how, you know, awful Trump was. And then a fan tweeted and said, great gig, Crosby, um, but again, can you leave Trump out of it? And then rather than just kind of, you know, <laughs> just saying nothing, like Crosby replied and said, don't ever come to my gig again. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I just, uh, so he like, he takes it to the, to the, to the max and, and, you know, I guess, I guess, I mean, that's one way of doing it. I, you know, that's, that's kind of, going against what we're just talking about, I suppose, in terms of, you know, giving people a voice. Um, but it's just that thing of, you know, how, how much do we, do we want to get involved as, as, you know, as artists, how, how important is it? And I, I, I feel like as I get older, I, I feel more and more like I, I like it's important to, to engage and, and to just, and to promote the values that you know that I believe in, and, and that's not to therefore block out the ones I don't. But yeah, it's like have have an open dialogue. You know? Yeah, I think as well what we have to remember is that everything is political with a small p, and whether that's massively espousing or a- engaging with any kind of uh, political issue within one's art, or whether one decides to leave it out that in itself is a political act because it's it's the this is going to sound sort of um maybe a bit intense <laughs> but it's I, I, it's kind of what i think like you know it's it's that that decision or or that ability or or perhaps the privilege of of not having to say anything and i'm not saying that because i think that everybody should set you know make every single gig about some issue you know i'm not saying it because of that but just uh, you know from a just from a conceptual point of view, everything that we do musically is kind of revealing of of who we are, how we've grown up, what bits of culture we attach ourselves to or detach ourselves from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I've found, you know, certainly recently, you know, in politics, for example, just like trying to engage, it just feels like a... a, a a real kind of waste of energy like when every time you just try to kind of be informed and you, and you find out what's going on and you're just receiving the same stuff that doesn't really uh, chime with your own beliefs like that you know there is a tendency just to kind of want to tune out and and I think that's that's actually when it does get really dangerous actually there are two things I want to say in response to what you just said, which is really interesting. Um, you know, this thing about when you hear the kind of policies that are being made and stuff like that, and, and you said you use the phrase that they don't chime with what you're feeling and, and thinking, and, and it, it gets so relentless that you want to tune out. And I think there's definitely something to do with the way that some of this discourse happens, where we, we just say words over and over again, and they kind of lose, they lose any kind of meaning. Because people sort of tune out they just kind of assume they know what camp you're in and therefore what you're saying and it and it just kind of goes on and and people ignore each other and so in a way ironically even though music is is sort of a different kind of communication I think definitely like within the arts and just the kind of like popular culture and stuff that people engage with that's not overtly 
politics. You know, it's not a press release from an MP, <laughs> but it's information, right? And I'm aware that it might, maybe sounds a bit bombastic, but I think actually in a funny sort of way, it, it's the only recourse we have left, like, or, or it's the one that's really stood the test of time, isn't it? It's like, I don't know, think about like Huma Sakela in, in South Africa, like but by this point where like the sides were so entrenched, but music kind of grasping the zeitgeist of the time and grasping that energy of the time um, and sending a message, right? Sending a message that if it was written down or spoken by some guy in parliament, it doesn't ring, but in song it does. Uh, and there are some things, right, that can only be said through music and through poetry. And and um, and in a way, I think that's where, like, where we have to step up, you know, like, I, I don't know if we can change the world, but we, we've definitely got a, a chance to. Exactly. I mean, there, there it is. There it is. That's brilliantly said. And, you know, the, the, it's, therefore, it's like, the, that should be the motivation. It's just that classic mechanism isn't it of like when somebody shouts you sort of stop listening and when somebody whispers and it's about something else and it's you sort of get distracted by the beginning of the story and then you realize oh it afterwards it sort of seeps into your subconscious oh it was about that you know and and that because it, it catches people in a way where their defenses haven't gone up it's to, they're listening to a story or a song Alice, let's let's talk about you and and your your music now. You cover a wide range of of styles and and languages. How, how many languages do you speak? I just speak English. Um, you know, it's my mother tongue. And your 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 folks are or you're half Polish. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, my dad's Polish. Um, so I speak a bit of Polish. I speak a little bit of loads of languages. Uh, you know, if I was to roll them all up into one ball, I could probably have like another <laughs> two. <laughs> but they're not, they're all spread out. So but you, you, you um, sing in, in, in several languages, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like I wouldn't, I wouldn't starve in France or Spain or Poland, you know, like I can, I can get by, but I, I you know, I'm not, not, um, uh, uh, fluent speaker by any means, but um, but I'm I'm into languages, like, uh, and I um, I sing in lots of different languages and really enjoy exploring what they bring out uh, in terms of like a human character. So there's like certain ways that I feel um, when I sing in Spanish, for example, just the way that the words are formed, just even the feeling of the shape of them in your mouth, you know, uh, it changes my character or it doesn't change my character but it accesses a part of my character that 
I don't find so easy to connect with when I sing in English and vice versa. You know, it's all, all languages have a really special, I have a special relationship with all the languages I sing in. Oh, wonderful. And so you, you know, I guess, so you use that as a, as a compositional in, inspiration, right? Or in terms of. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's like, uh, there's something to do with like the rhythm of speech as well. Like, um, all languages have their own um, velocity of sound, right? Like um, mm. and a particular rhythm and articulation and stuff. And, and it's it's interesting when you listen to folk music from countries, if you would like to sort of compare folk musics from different countries mm. And, mm. and hear how the rhythms of the speech are reflected, right? In, in the sort of typical melodies from those regions. Um, I always find that a really cool, cool and interesting thing. Amazing, amazing. You know, did it take time to find your your artistic voice? Did you did did you feel free from the beginning to create the work you wanted to? Yeah, it, it to give like a background. Like I I learned classical violin as a kid, like from the age of seven, and piano, and did uh, like orchestras like local orchestras and stuff like that um lots of really beautiful um kind of like classical orientated or kind of like um young people's music right like um choir songs and, and stuff like that musical theater i did try to do loads of musical theater when i was a teenager and stuff um so like a kind of quite um like an amazing foundation amazing like uh, education in like the sort of um the forms and structures of music, right? And like learned how to perform and all of this stuff. And like, it was, it's amazing, but it's quite rigid, you know, like, um, and you play what's in front of you or you sing what's in front of you, the, the dots. And um, that was the way I did it at least. But then when I was at home, I, you know, did all kinds of other stuff. I like wrote songs and things like that, but it was when I was about 12 or 13, this uh, jazz singer from New Orleans came to my school called Lillian Boutte, amazing, incredible, legendary woman, um, incredible singer and amazing human being. And it was her that got me hip to the, this idea that like music can be in the moment and spontaneous and uh, and is also a communal experience. Uh, everybody in the room is responsible for what happens. Um, in terms of like the energy they give and like the way they respond and like, and, it, and there was like, there's obviously like a huge rich etiquette that goes with that as well, but it's ostensibly less formal. Even it's just as like sort of deep and important and, and, um, and all the rest of it. I don't have to say that to you, you, you know, um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, it's, it's another form. And uh, I guess like growing up, I had, so I, worked with her a lot and she kind of took me under her wing over the years. And so I was always, I always kind of had what felt like two really separate strands of music making. There was the one where I was like kind of desperately sort of like, oh God, like practicing for like seven hours a day in this toilet. I, I used to practice in the toilet in, um, at the RNCM it had, you know, it, it was just like the one that was the room that was free and nobody knew where it was. And I would just go up there and spend all day in the toilet practicing scales and concertos and getting really stressed about like, oh, you know, it, 
just all, you know, the, the details, like big, big details. And um, it's fashionable these days to slag off the classical music world. And I, I don't do that. I don't subscribe to that because I think, you know, like it, there's nothing wrong with wanting to, to do stuff with detail and, and, um, and with precision and, and in intense seriousness. Like I, I, I think that's amazing. But at the set, having said that, that there are also kind of, as, as we all know, these kind of self-appointed gatekeepers of that world who perhaps take it to, to extremes that aren't necessary or, or who kind of, yeah, think that that's the only way. And that in fact, there are multiple ways of doing it. And so I guess in the years after that, it's been a case of kind of trying to weave all those threads together so that, you know, like they're all honoured in some way. Fascinating. I mean, it feels like the, that's very much how the the music and sort of, well press community uh, respond to to your music. I've got some quotes here. We've got um, a, a genuine original, The Guardian, and uncharacterizable Jamie Cullen, beautiful, a force to be reckoned with, and then tender in spirit and defiantly anti-genre, Jazzwise magazine. And you know, it's it like that's clearly kind of coming across and and is being you know it's it's registering that 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 desire to kind of bring the bring down the boundaries right um is, is thanks for doing your homework that's really <laughs> lovely no, i mean it's true man it's absolutely true <laughs> and and i mean is that you know is that the kind of the goal to 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 just have no no boundaries mm. is that is that what you're no. shooting for in a way you can only call something, to use that quote, defiantly anti-genre, you can only call it that if if you've already got an accepted parameter of what genre is, right? It, it, it's, a, it's an anti-statement. I know exactly, it was um, Jane Cornwell that wrote that. And I know exactly what she means and I, I love her for saying that. It, but it's it's also, it's ref, a reflection of, of the way we see music and the way culture sees music, which is that there are genres exist in a lot of people's minds. And I think... I, I understand what genres are. I understand why they need to exist as, you know, in terms of terminology, right? Uh, so that people can market music and describe music and, and all of that stuff that isn't the actual music itself. Um, and I'm curious to know whether this is a kind of similar story for you. As a lot of people I work with, it's not that we're anti-genre, but it's just that we don't experience genre. Especially like when I'm making music, it doesn't cross my mind that it's like, I'm going to make this sound bluegrassy or I'm going to, this is going to be a jazz standard. It just doesn't occur to me. I'm sure it's, I'm guessing it's similar for you as well in the sense that like, if you do play music from varying sources, I'm going to avoid saying the word genre now. I'm never going to say it again. Uh, <laughs> If you do play music from different sources, right, or that's inspired by different places, times, um, communities, um, then it's like all, your whole musical life and experience is going to come into how you approach that and how you engage with that material and information that's in front of you or that someone's told you or that you've listened to or whatever. And this goes back to the whole point of this conversation, right, the, the freedom of expression thing. I think that's in a way why it's so why it's such a joy to do what we do because we approach these things with that sense of freedom and with with curiosity and so like so for me like if I, I might be checking out some kind of 
aria from some Italian opera opera from like the 16th century or something. But it doesn't mean, you know, I, I might... I might approach that in the same, you know, it's, I mean, this is like normal uh, for us a lot, isn't it? You know, you, you approach that with flexibility and openness or, you know, you approach a classical piece or or a jazz standard or some improvised thing from somewhere, you know, and it's, it's all sorts of ways that you can engage with it and you just use all the tools you've got. And it, and, and so in a way it, it ceases to be about genre and it's just, you know, I don't know. I, I think Jean, I, I, if I could, I just would never talk about it. I just would forget that it even, it's even a thing. So, I mean, therefore, is it possible to be truly free as an artist or, or, or is, is it desirable? The thing that comes to my mind is this great guy called Stephen Nakmanovich. I don't know if you've heard of him. I love the guy. I've never met him, but I'm friends with him on Facebook. He accepted my friend request. I was really excited. Um, and I actually even graffitied a toilet with a paragraph from his book. Yeah. And then two years later, I saw him post a photo of that wall, of that toilet that I'd graffitied because his friend of a friend from London had been to that same bar, seen it and sent it to him. And then he posted it on Facebook. And then I wrote to him that and said, me. that was me. I mean, that's... What was the quote? It's long, so I can't remember it verbatim, but it was something to do with um, if I try too hard to play. He's a violinist, by the way. So you think about like the bow on the string. If I try too hard to play... Uh, and, and if it's with strength and uh, uh, defensiveness or whatever, I can't remember, then the sound crushes. Um, uh, it's, I can't, it's, in, in a way, it's pointless me trying to say mm. it because it was so beautiful the way he did it. But, but it's basically talking about vulnerability and that the only way to strength is through, through vulnerability, right. which is just beautiful. But uh, the, the thing that, um, that I want to say from him that's in answer to your question mm. that I, I love... Mm. Uh, and which, I don't know, maybe this isn't, it's not very, um, maybe it's the trendiest answer to your question would be like, yeah, man, free, just freedom. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but actually, in a way, f for me personally, it is that as an overall, but within the, having these kind of confines within mm -hmm. that, it's really helpful Absolutely. in a way. I don't mean like confines uh sort of enacted by law or, or oppression or anything mm. like that, but but just that sort of self-imposed boundaries that help uh, make things make sense. So he talks about how all of nature is self-organising in one way or another. Mm. If you put water into a tray and slosh it around, the confines of that tray are fixed and immovable and the water begins to organise itself until it all makes sense and you've got a nice glossy still surface on the top mm. right and in that process there's there's a sort of satisfaction mm -hmm. that comes from the water the cooperation just co-op yeah exactly mm. exactly mm. and that wouldn't happen if the sides of the tray weren't mm. there and in a way um i quite like within just sort of within my own compositional process i suppose or or within improvisation certainly rather than just going like all to the four winds, like anything, everything, you know, um, you know, what, what chaos, <laughs> what chaos. Um, right. I, I love to have this idea of like some self-imposed rules, mm -hmm. which then inevitably you're going to break at some point and that's fine. It's, you know, it's not a sort of 
fixed absolute, but just as a concept, I, I really love that. Uh, it helps me tremendously because otherwise, you know, otherwise everything is too big. You know, mm. everything's massive. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's it. You you definitely need goalposts. I think is that just as you've you've said, Alice. It's been a real real treat um, talking with you. Um, for me yeah, too. Man. Thank you for your thoughtful questions. Of course. <laughs> of course. Alice Savadsky interviewed by Bill Lawrence. I loved hearing Alice talk about how musicians can use freedom of expression to inspire listeners on human rights and politics, but in ways that are subtle and effective. I think it really is true that music is an art form that builds bridges with social change. Article 10 is hosted by me, Tina Edwards, produced by Tess Davidson and brought to you by the EFG London Jazz Festival, which runs this year, 2022, from the 11th to the 20th of November.